Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. One more time. Dragon Talk. Dragon Talk. Oh, thank you, thank you. Here you go, making it rain. <laughs> Dungeon Mayhem cards Ooh. everywhere for you. Dungeon Mayhem. Yay. This is the uh, official yeah. D&D podcast. Did right. you know that, Shelly? Yes. I did too. Yes. Uh, we've been saying that for years. Right. Uh, I'm Greg Tito. I'm Shelly Mazanoble. We are here to discuss things involving both dungeons. And dragons. All kinds of them. Yeah. Uh, it is uh, always great to, to be here and talk through some fun stuff. Agreed. So, um... There are a lot of new things coming out. Do you know this? Yes. There is the Essentials Kit. Yes. It is out in Target stores in in North America right now. It's in the wild. People can play it. So they're opening it up. I've been seeing lots of uh, of reactions to it on the interwebs. Are very positive. Very positive. Yeah. People are loving it. Did somebody told the story about being at Target and seeing kids standing by the doors, like the employees only back room doors, like. And they overheard them saying, like, they said they've got three more in the back. No way. And they were waiting for the essentials kit. Just put it back on the shelf. Put it on and the, the shelf. And like the, the staff, the, the target team member in the red shirt came out with the essentials kits, gave them each one. And then the person who was overhearing was like, I'll take that other one. Sweet. <laughs> I'll take it. That's great. I yeah, love how it's like, uh, it's in it. demand. Yes. Uh, very exciting. There is a lot of cool about this essentials so kit. Cool. Um, if so, you need to go down to the Target and, and, and figure it out if you go want to get it target. and play it. Um, it has it's more player focused, so it's it's everything that you need to uh, make your first character is in the rule book. It's a revised rule book. There's an adventure in there uh, that's written by Mr. Chris Perkins. Um, that is, uh, I, I've seen a lot of people, experienced people talking about how much they love that it is. Uh, I guess the sandbox, like, the, but it's like a well-written sandbox where you can do anything you want to do, and, cool. and there's um, an overarching uh, bad guy with a dragon, oh. as, as the Dragon of Ice Fire Peak, because that's the name of the thing. Oh. Um, there's also sidekicks, as well yeah. as tons of cards, di- blood red dice, uh, a map, DM screen, bunch of maps, a DM screen. Um, there's like those condition cards and stuff. Yeah, the, all the cards are really interesting. I like the cards. It's the a, cards it's are a nice way idea. to figure out how to do the D and D combat mechanics. Yeah, by having those yeah. initiative cards, yep. all types of things that just kind of help ease you into all the concepts behind playing D and D. Plus, there are rules in there for a, a single dungeon master playing with a single player. That is something somebody pointed out. Like, oh, this actually says for two to two plus players or whatever. Yeah, and. I'm like, oh yeah, it is. It's it's two players. Because I've been hearing about people, you know, uh, uh, doing that for years, and yeah. now um, there's rules in place to make that happen. Yeah. So that's cool. That's very cool. I like it. Would you say that it's it's beginner friendly? Yeah, I mean that's like, part of the whole plot. Right. You know, like whole you idea. like you don't have like this is like equivalent to the starter in like how you would. Because I I asked because I gave an essentials kit to some beginning D and D kids. Just a couple hours ago. Uh, yeah, what, just so, a few hours ago. Let's see out. what happens. Uh, I hope yeah. I didn't. I, it seems like. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I said, yeah. It's it's, it's everything right. you need to play in one box. Yeah. Uh, I, I personally think that the essentials kit is uh, again a little bit more like player focused. Yeah. Where the dun- the starter set could be interpreted to be a little bit more for uh, first time dungeon masters yeah. uh, and getting into it that way. Although, um, it was. I mean, the starter set was designed for when 5th edition came out uh, in 2014. So it was also a way to get players used to the new edition. Yeah. And also, so um, that's less of what 
Essentials Kit is all about. It's about onboarding new people and getting them um, on board. But you could, you know, you could go starter set Essentials Kit, you know, then right. get a PhD. Uh, and a also, PhD. And a PhD in your PhD. Yep. Nice. And the D and the D. And the D and the D. So we are going to talk to uh, some interesting folks for our interview this episode. We're going to talk to Rand Fishkin, uh, who is the founder of Spark Toro uh, in uh, here in the Seattle area, and Ian Laurie, uh, who is also a CEO and founder of his own company called Portent. Uh, they're both. Seattle area business leaders, I guess you could say, and uh, play D anD D, or at least um, uh, have been have been tweeting about it and talking about it a bunch. And I think they've even played together. Yeah. So we will, uh, you know, we don't often get that perspective of people who uh, are at, you know leading companies also being interested in what D anD D is doing. We kind of go from the bottom up. So I'm I'm really kind of fascinated to hear from them their experience and. Uh, you know, hopefully get some marketing pointers. Well, I, no, I'm not going to lie. Totally <laughs> That's mostly what this, this is mostly good for, <laughs> our, for our purposes. Well, Rand has, uh, he has talked about publicly how he thinks that D&D would make a very fascinating market case study. Right. Don't you think it would? I think it would. I think so, yeah. too. I think it all has to do, so, you know, since, since I've been here. I right. Mean, you've been here for I mean, 95 years. I think, Right. <laughs> <laughs> As announced yesterday in our team meeting. Yes, exactly. The I'm lich sure. is still here. Do you know, guys know that Shelly Noble has been an employee of Wizards of the Coast for 20 years. 20 years. Woo! Give it up. Yeah. You look really unhappy with this. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> it feels weird. Like, I don't feel old enough to have been somewhere for 20 years. Well, you were hired when you were six. I was a child. No, was, no labor law. It was right after uh, you gave birth to Kesha. Right. Exactly. I na- I'm like, oh, man, I need a job with health insurance. Now I got a kid. <laughs> right. The whole interning thing didn't work out. Can't do it anymore. Yeah. Sorry, I can't go to clubs all night. <laughs> I got to like have a day job. You're like, I have boys blowing up my phone's phones. <laughs> right. Pedicure on my toes, toes. <laughs> can't she do that She stole those anymore. lines from you. I couldn't believe it. Oh, I, I grew up singing that to her. <laughs> I mean, she grew up with right. me singing. Well, but- me too, because I was six when I had her. So... <laughs> <laughs> and the story just keeps getting weirder and weirder. More and more convoluted. Uh, but that's amazing. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's all been and, uh, growing and getting better. I want to see this case study that goes from when you started. And, right. And, and then how, now. like, things really peaked when you started. It's, well, exactly. Because you can, I think they can pinpoint the exact moment of, of D&D just going gangbusters. It was when Pelham got here, I think, right. actually. Yes. More, more than anything else. Yeah. Also, it's when we started recording this podcast. Also, I think Dragon Talk has a lot to do with it. I think it does, actually. Yeah. And you at home. Thank you. Thank you. For all of you spreading the good uh, goodness of role-playing games. Like dandelion seeds. Like dandelion seeds. We're going to set you loose now. (laughs) (laughs) Was that gentle? There you go, Rand. (laughs) There you go, Caitlin. (laughs) Go out into the world. (laughs) Go find more D&D players. Plant the seeds <laughs> of imagination in your hearts. In your heart. <laughs> in your heart. I want to hear you narrate a book. In, in a British accent mm-hmm. that's very terrible. In your heart. In your heart. Yes. Um, we have a lot of books that we uh, make here at the Dungeons & Dragons, so maybe we should just be reading those aloud yeah, for all of our should. podcast content going yep. forward. Yeah. All right. I'll make it so. I think what I want to do is uh, when my voice is out from doing D&D Live, then I want to record oh, yeah. uh, me talking. And you got the devil's mustard <laughs> coming out of your eye holes. 
<laughs> Good. We're going to hear a story about demons as read by an actual an demon. An actual demon. <laughs> Here you go. Oh, man. Uh, speaking of actual demons and devils, Baldur's Gate Descent yeah. into Avernus is coming September 17th. It is a very interesting D&D adventure. <laughs> it's very interesting. Interesting is the word. Hellish. Um, you can, uh, oh, and here's a, here's a line. Uh, forge your fate in hellfire. Ooh, that's a good one. Yes. I, I like that. Who wrote that copy? I think that was I think that was a Pelham Green special right there. Was that? I don't know. It could be. Um, good one, Pelham. But it goes from levels 1 to 13. That's big. Oh, lucky number 13. Exactly. Um, takes you from what's going on in Baldur's Gate. So there's like a chapter uh, uh, about the city and, and the current goings on. Probably not good Probably from what I good. know about yeah. Baldur's Gate. It, there's a lot of betrayal that happens there. Yes, there is some. Yeah. If you would like to see some of that, you can watch... Pelham's hot mess, <laughs> and or buy betrayal at Baldur's Where they Gate play and play betrayal that. at Baldur's Gate. Yeah, and I know. Betray all your friends. That's a good way, actually, to kind of orient yourself with the with the city. Mm-hmm. Is to play that game, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure. So do it, um, and then you know, through the course of the plot, you may end up in uh, Avernus, the first layer of hell, uh, which gives also lots of information about that area of of awesome. the plane of the nine hells. Probably not. That it may not be, but there's some holly fans. There's uh, some cute <gasps> things. There's a tressum. Why would a holly? There's some abyssal would you call chickens. A holly, holly fans. Holly fant. Holly fant. It's Lulu. Yeah, Lulu the um, holly fant. Why which would is a, a flying a pink elephant? But why creature. would a flying pink elephant live there? Well, you're going to have to listen to a future Lori should know segment. All right, uh, you're going to talk I about that. I, it's on the list. Uh, we're going to talk about them and the tressums, which are uh, cat-like. Uh, devil creatures. I believe they would live there. Yes. All cats. You believe? I think have come from there. <laughs> so all dogs go to heaven and all yeah. cats are from hell? Yes. yes. Something like that. I like that. I think that's true. Yeah. That's why we love them so. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, so that, I said, is coming out September 17th. There's two covers. One cover by the inimitable Tyler Jacobson. Uh, I love the front cover. It's been plastered everywhere. It's amazing. Um, also, a alternate cover will be created. Well, it's already created, but it will be available only in game stores. Uh, and that cover is by Hydro74, who so has done cool. many of the alternate covers for us. So that's going to be exciting. Um, you all, if you're fans of Hydro74 and his alt covers, you should pay attention to what we're doing at San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, I don't want to de- give too many details away, uh, but you're going to find out. Uh, there's gonna be, we're going to be streaming live uh, from from San Diego Comic Con at the Bait Store. Uh, we'll give more details on that as we get closer, but that's going to be in July. It's going to be very soon. Very you're going to be able to check it out. Yep. Uh, Baldur's Gate 3 is a game that we also announced with our partners at Larian Studios, the makers of Divinity Original Sin. I was at E3 talking all about that uh, a couple weeks ago. I can't believe that was... Only a couple weeks ago, but know, it is God. it's time is moving fast. People are super excited about that game, and I am excited about that game. Yes. It is gonna be super fun. Yes. Uh I enjoy all of the uh writers and creators working on it, including uh Adam Lee, who did a lot of work for uh Baldur's Gate Descent yes. to Avernus. Yep. He's been uh working with that team as well as uh, all of our kind of world building folks uh have been feeding them stories for for years now. Yeah. Uh so it's exciting to talk about it. Uh at least a little bit now. We'll be giving more details about that as it gets closer to um uh to release. Adam Lee also helped with 
the Dungeon Mayhem Battle for Baldur's Gate expansion. Yeah. We are Baldur's Gate heavy. Yes, we are. We are opening we the are, gates. We are in. The floodgates of Baldur. The, <laughs> the Baldur floodgates. The Baldur flood has open, begun. And Dungeon Mayhem cards are flying everywhere. Yeah. Yep. As well as <laughs> Devil's Mustard. Oh. <laughs> flying everywhere. God. <laughs> I'm never going to unhear it. Never gonna unsee it. It's gross. I have a picture actually of what it looked like. I don't. I'll show it to you later. No. Uh, we'll show it on the on the Nashville tour. <laughs> uh, what else do we want to talk about? So there's a couple things that are out right now that you can pick up that are amazing, like Acquisitions Incorporated. Yep. Yep. The D and D source book. Amazing stuff in there. I love the artwork uh, that w- is throughout that book, as well as uh, the adventure. It takes you through six levels of funness in the Actors Incorporated world of the Forgotten Realms, which yep. is kind of like a corporate overlord st- satirical look at corporate structure and uh, greed, <laughs> which is what the Act Inc. is all about uh, with uh, characters that you know and love from PAX's yes. performed for the last 10 years. All Such of them. as Omen Drawn, Jim Dark Magic, uh, Morgane, Viari, all of them are in Acquisitions Incorporated as NPCs that you can use and play in your game. There's also rules in there for starting up your own franchise of Acquisitions Incorporated, as well as positions that your party can take in that organization. It's chock full. It's amazing. Uh, a lot of wonderful people worked on it. Interesting uh, take. It's flying off shelves as as we currently speak. Awesome. Ghost of Saltmarsh yes, is sinking into the deep, deep sea. Flying off shelves. No, it's sinking. It's sinking it's, it's, off it, shelves. It's torpedoing into the 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 different the puns of the ocean. of your imagination ocean. Yes. <laughs> yes. All of those things. Yes. What do you know about the Ghost of Saltmarsh? I know that I played in um, at one in through one of the adventures. You did. I can't remember the name of it. Salvage Operation. Yep, that's the one. There were spiders everywhere. There were lots Spoiler of Spoiler alert. Eh. Yeah, really watch out fun. For, some, for some loth-blessed bastards yep. coming at you. Oh, yep. Yeah. Felt her presence all over. What is that term? Where is it loth-touched? When you, uh, like, the feeling of when you walk through a spider web. <gasps> Uh, it's, it's, that's what it is to me. Love like, touch. Yeah, you're like, oh, God, ah, it's in my hair. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I hate that. I feel, feel like I'm having it right now. Oh, ah, talking about it. Oh, God. Hello. By the way, there's a spider crawling on your head. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know. No problem. M- Marvin. Marvin. Yeah. His, all of his genes are, have their cuffs rolled up. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how hard it is to get him ready in the morning? It's eight. Cuffs. Like, Hang on, those tiny little cups. <laughs> You're like, give me your buddy. Just right. <laughs> and then I finally get to like the seventh leg, and then like the second and third legs came uncuffed. And I just start all over. You're like, come on, buddy. You Seriously. can you can do this on your own. I feel like some of those legs should be arms, and you could just <laughs> do it yourself. If only you were an artist, you could draw it that way. <laughs> yes, somebody needs to be drawing that soon. We don't have any fan art of you and me. Mm-hmm. I guess that's true. I mean, by us count, saying that right now, did we just conjure it into existence? You can count maybe Nathan's awesome photoshopping of us. <laughs> yeah, that's as right. Fan art. Yeah, that counts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think now that you've said that, now we're just going to have to. Somebody could be doing like it. the devil's mustard. Oh God, maybe a picture of you. That sounds like a Dungeon and Doodles uh, segment there, where oh, uh, yeah. they can draw all the things that we prompt them to say. Ooh, maybe we'll we'll be guest prompters. That would be fun. Then, let's do it. Okay. All right, we'll talk to Bart. Okay. Yeah. Who's been here 15 years. <laughs> right. He didn't even know that. He was like, oh, really? He was like, whoa, how did no that kidding, happen? Man. Like, yeah. 
talk to talk to you in twenty. Combined, the two Time of you flies. have more history with this company than the company has been in existence. Right, that's crazy to think about. My wizard's career can almost legally drink. <laughs> <laughs> almost, almost. One day she has a fake idea. <laughs> she's I was she's going carbon with Kesha. <laughs> I was so young when I started here. You were a babet. I was a babet. Yeah, like I remember on my first day. You were Before six. my first day, I was, when I was six, <laughs> I really like. I took myself shopping because I wanted like I wanted some like new work clothes. I wanted to look cool, but I had like, no money. Yeah. So I think I went to like the Gap Outlet or something. <laughs> I, I remember my exact outfit that I was wearing. Gap wasn't in existence back then. So. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have outlets in 1999. Uh, it was pre-outlet. <laughs> so maybe it was the actual store. It was the actual store. But then I must have. Um, Went to the sales. Man, now I want to go back in time and talk to. Oh, I actually found my first, um, my first wizard's badge. Really? Yes, I have to bring that in because I'm very round, fresh face, and had a really bad bowl haircut. Oh, I feel like um, we could we could auction that off for extra life or something like that. It's all like chipped and beat up. Yeah. And did you know well that, used. that Liz Shu was the one who hired me? I did not know that. You didn't know that? No. Yeah. Did she, did she interview you? She everything? interviewed me, yeah. Nice. Was it like this interview right now? There was like five people in the interview. And there were microphones? Just like this. She's like, put on these headphones. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get your cans on. <laughs> put your cans on. <laughs> That's what we say in the biz. Tighten those jeans. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so I think we should now kick it to some lore you should know. Yes. Do you think it's a time? I do. Let's do some bangs and also some bongs. We're going to clap it out. Let's do it. Yeah, lore. Lore you should know. Woo. Welcome to another Lore You Should Know segment. That is the bit where me, Greg Tito, speaks to Chris Perkins. Hello. About little bits of Dungeons & Dragons lore that you can use in your game or just for fun in your brain to know it. Uh, Today, we are going to talk about the Upper Plains and the Exalted Host. Basically everything involving Celestials and what Mm -hmm. that means in the D&D multiverse. Right, yes. Uh, and, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, devils and demons and their blood war and all the yeah. nastiness that's going on in the lower planes. They get all the press. Everybody they get all wants the- to hear the bad story. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <'cause laughs> Not the, the ba- feel-good story. They're the bad guys. Right. Which, you know, yeah. that's, that's what people want to, to know about in Dungeons & Dragons. But, but it uh, turns out there's a whole other half to the multiverse. Exactly. The good guys. The top half. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> like the centaur, the top half, right? The very exactly. important part. Uh, so yeah, I, I actually know very little about what the the current thinking of what's happening in the D and D celestial nature. So what's mm. wh- where, where were those first mentioned? They were in the originals, right? Oh yes. So we, if we hop in the wayback machine to first edition, uh, the cosmology that we have today was created way back then. Mm-hmm. And the upper planes represent the planes of goodness, law, chaos, and neutral varieties of goodness, but goodness nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And they had some of them had different names back then and have changed and evolved over the years, but the number of planes and their, essentially what they're all about hasn't changed much. And actually, the creatures that live there haven't changed a ton either. We sort of added to them over the years to kind of fill out the ranks a bit. But if you go all the way back to the first edition books, you will see definitions in the Manual of the Planes and in the Player's Handbook about what the upper planes are and what they're like to live there. 
as well as a number of creatures that dwell there. Mm-hmm. Predominantly angels and archons, which we'll talk about, and a host of other beautiful creatures like holly fence and moon dogs. An, an, exalted, an exalted host of creatures. Exactly, an exalted host, as it were. Yeah. Uh, how were they, just out of curiosity, how were they used in early D&D adventures? Barely at all. Okay, so it was yeah. maybe just plot, if anything? Well, I think part of the reason is it is very rare for adventurers to go to the Upper Plains to get into trouble. Right. <laughs> You're not going to mess them up. Right, and there's not really much trouble happening there. Otherwise, they wouldn't be the heavenly realms that they are. Mm-hmm. So... If we could just do sort of a quick run-through of what the planes are to refresh. By the way, you'll find a lot of this information updated in the 5th edition Dungeon Master's Guide where we talk about the cosmology in detail and describe each of the planes I'm about to mention. Right. There is the what I call the cut-and-dry upper planes. The, um, the planes that are very specifically tailored to a certain alignment. Mm. And they include the seven heavens of Mount Celestia, which is our lawful good plane. If you're a lawful good character, that's where your soul is probably going to go when you die. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this idea of good tempered with absolute law. And the creatures who live there are called... Uh, well, the, the, the primary force of good there are the archons. And they trace their origins all the way back to first edition. And what they are are servants and living embodiments of law and good married together. Okay. So they're very strictly, very strict in terms of their enforcement of law and good. And um, as we'll discuss later, the celestial heptamad is what these archons um, gravitate up toward. You said seven heavens, so are, are there, is it similar to the mm-hmm. nine layers of hell? And yes, exactly. So all of the upper planes have a certain number of layers built into them and it just so happens that Mount Celestia has seven. Seven. Yes. Magical lucky number of seven. Exactly. And that's been true going all the way back to the beginning and they all have names and they all have different flavors. Like this is sort of the the blinding um, mountain peak, you mm. know, the summit and then there's the layers underneath that they sort of go up the mountain. Got it. And we're talking like the world, the, the, the multiverse's biggest mountain. Right? Just goes it on forever. It doesn't get any bigger than Mount Celestia. Yeah, it's, 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 it's big beyond compare. And beyond description, in a sense. Yeah, and um, like I like the mountain because it's the opposite of the, of the, the upside pit. down layer cake that is right. right yeah, exactly. Uh, so that that is your plane of of lawful goodness, and we'll come back. We'll circle back around and talk about the archons again momentarily. Um, another of the cut and dry planes is the ultimate plane of neutral goodness, mm-hmm. which is the plane of Elysium, and it is the plane of pure joy mixed with compassion. Neutral good is sort of kind of like the epitome of good, not defined by having to adhere to laws or being a, like sort of a goodly anarchist. You are, you're just good because you're a compassionate and a joyful person. And all the creatures that live on Elysium basically are cut from that cloth. And Elysium has four layers and um, is also home to the counterpart to the river Styx. Oh. So there is a, there is a, there is a river that threads through the upper plains. It's not the River Styx. Hmm. It is the River Oceanus. Oceanus. Yes. And That's a confusing name. And it's a... Yeah, no, no shit, right. <laughs> it's the Ocean yeah. Riviera. Riviera. Yeah. You're like, wait, yeah. what? Uh, but it threads... It, it sort of starts... Weaves through Elysium and then cascades down into other good-aligned planes as well. And it's exactly what you'd expect 
the Upper Plains River to be. It's it's beautiful. It's burbling. It's serene. It's pristine. It's uncorrupted. Does uncorruptible. It, does it function the same way that the river sticks as a way to yes. move between yes. layers and yes. planes? Absolutely. Got it. Yeah. Cool. So it does have that in common with its evil or dread counterpart. Now the the primary denizens of Elysium, besides the spirits of neutral good folk who end up there, mm-hmm. is a group of creatures that sort of came later, a little bit later than first edition. Um, in second edition, particularly developed in Planescape, and those are the Gardinals. Gardinals? Gardinals. Okay. And Gardinals are a class of creature uh, that are native to Elysium and... They're basically animal-headed friendly is living the best life. Oh, like, uh, like almost like Egyptian gods type, type looking? Um, they're a little bit more pastoral. Okay. So there's, the, um, there's, a, there's a horse-headed one, mm-hmm. and there's a goat-headed one, and there's a bear-headed one. And, and they all have like different personalities of... Yes, yes. Oh. Um, so, like the the equinol gardenal is the is the horse headed one, and it has a certain style of personality to it and behavior. Um, but they're all sort of dedicated to this idea of protecting Elysium and just spreading joy and compassion. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. They're furries. Uh, <laughs> 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 like, you know, let's not let's yeah. not make, mix words well, here. No, no, yeah, exactly. And D and D's got a long history of animal headed people, and these guys are like the epitome of good aligned animal headed people. So yeah, well, you don't see a lot of uh, iconography around that in the in the multiverse, mm-hmm. though. That's what's interesting. Yes, is that correct. you know the, we, something that Dungeon Master yeah. could totally start using more correct. often. Yeah. Um, and then the last of the sort of cut and dropper planes is the embodiment of pure chaotic goodness, which is Arborea. Um, the Olympian Glades in first edition was called Olympus. Was it ever called the Happy Hunting Grounds? Or is that That's a- another one. Oh, we'll okay. get to that one. Okay. So Arborea, aka Olympus, in first edition um, is all about um, big moods and emotion. So good people having you know emotional, very passion, very passion driven plane. Yeah. Uh, so it is not surprisingly the home for uh, elves in the afterlife because elves are predominantly emotional, emotionally driven, um, transformative mm. people. Yeah. Uh, not bound by laws per se, but by their own moods. And uh, so the layers of which there are three, um, there's Arvindor, there's Asa, which the elven name for is Aqualor. And then there's the third plane, which is... I think Pelion and the elf name for it is Mythardir. And so elves go there when they're in the afterlife, but it's also the home of the Greek pantheon still. And if you're a fan of the Flash Gordon movie, it's also the home of Prince Baron. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, because oh, going back to the Greeks, that they're, they're statted up in deities and demigods, yeah, and, and that's where a lot of yes. this was, was, was from correct. as well. Yeah, but to, in later editions, I think to sort of create a sense that this is a broader place than just a dumping ground for Greek myth, mm-hmm. Olympus changed to Elysium. Got it. In terms of its name. Uh, so, and then you've got the other four good aligned planes, which sort of a mixed bag, a combination of alignments mixed together. Uh, and they have a little bit more conceptually going on, like the Happy Hunting Grounds. Okay. As they were called in first edition, what we call today, and what's been called, I think, since third edition, the Beastlands. Beastlands. Yes. It's, it, is the, it is the primordial of all primordial forests. The great forest that spreads across uh, three different layers and uh, it is the home of intelligent beasts. 
Oh. So I guess they call it the Happy Hunting Grounds because people go there to like hunt, but the creatures who live there aren't big on that. They're like, no, wait, don't do that. <laughs> don't please. do that. Hey, stop. Right. Um, but it's like, it's like an untamed wild. It is an untamed wild of awakened beasts. Interesting. So these are intelligent animals that can communicate and in some cases have m- magical abilities uh, that they've been bestowed, be- that have been bestowed upon them by whatever gods share their domain. Cool. Uh, so then you've got Isgard, which in first edition was called Gladshame. Um, and well, I'm glad they changed that name. Uh. Yeah, no. <laughs> Isgard, but not Isgard. Asgard. Correct. Asgard is the first layer of Isgard, Isgard <laughs> so don't get too confused. Um, so this Who is named por- all these? This, of course, is entirely built on Norse myth. Yeah. Uh, the three layers of Isgard are Asgard, Muspelheim, and Nidavellir. Nidavellir. Which you would have known from the Thor movies. Yes. You know? yeah, the, but instead the heart in the, of a burning star. In this case, it's not the heart of a burning star, but kind of like an underworldy kind of dark place. But anyway... This is the plane of sort of chaos mixed with chaotic good mixed with chaotic neutral and great warriors go on to fight battles in the afterlife in Isgard if they just can't give up the sword. Mm. This is also the realm of giants and cyclopes and other creatures that of course just get slaughtered mercilessly by these <laughs> by the warriors. By the great warriors. Um, is this can, is that canonically where giants in the uh, material plane come from? Like uh, well, giants in the material plane are sort of born out of the primordials. Um, those are creatures of the elemental planes, mm-hmm. elemental. But there are gods who are power, who are great powers among the giants, who do have home homes or domains here. Oh, I see. So that's like yes. their, their pantheon would, exactly. would, would exist. Here. So a dead giant might go on into the afterlife and live in Nidavellir. Got it. Interesting. Uh, and so, and cyclopes, which are uh, chaotic neutral in D anD. d they also dwell in this realm quite happily. Mm. And um, I'm sure Ray Harryhausen dwells here too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other cool thing about Isgard is that it is the topmost point of uh, something in the, myth- in the mythology of D&D we call Yggdrasil, the world tree. World tree, right. Yes. So, uh, so it's at the top of that tree. For those who don't know, Yggdrasil is, a, is another way to get around in the plains by climbing this mythic tree, you can basically go off on its branches and end up in different parts of the multiverse. Not you, just these correct, these good planes, but anywhere, anywhere you could go to. Yeah, doors all over the place. Oh. But at the very tippy top, you get to Isgard. Got it. Uh, and then another plane uh, mentioning is the Twin Paradises of Bytopia, which uh, that's, it's been called that since the very beginning of the, of the game. Uh, Bytopia is neat in a way. Um, it is two planes that are turned inward toward each other so that when, you, when you're standing on the ground of one looking up, you can see the other one in the sky above you. Oh. Like you're inside a sandwich. Okay. And w- one of these layers is a sort of tamed layer, and the other one is an untamed layer. So it, it represents the dichotomy or duality of, of nature. Oh. And the people who generally hang out in Bytopia are those who enjoy... The simple pleasure of work and achievement for its own sake. And um, so that, not surprisingly, includes gnomes Mm -hmm. and halflings. I was just going to say that those people seem to fit there pretty well. Yeah. So Bytopia is just swarming with them. And then that's where their spirits go to? Yes. Would go to those those more often than not? Yes. Uh, And so, yeah, work is its own reward in Bytopia. Mm -hmm. People are really happy just to keep busy with little industry. Do they travel back and forth between the two planes often? They can. 
And since you can see the other one, it's not that hard to get to if you can fly. Right. Or if you build a really tall ladder. <laughs> For <laughs> Which the I'm sure they've tried to do. Yeah, they're like, we can Many keep times. going, keep yeah. going higher slash What's lower. What's balancing this ladder? Don't ask. Um, um, is there any kind of... Uh, uh, like doubleness, you know, twin, like you know, sorry, it's called twinning. Is there, is there like, you know, is your spirit the, on the bottom also the same that's on the top, or, or is that? I don't think it's quite that weird, but I like the idea. Yeah, we should do that. Okay, let's do that. Let's do, let's New make lore. It, make an adventure happen. You have a twin that you have to find in the other layer, and it's untamed twin. It's untamed twin. Yes, yeah, I like that. It's just you with a bad haircut. Uh, <laughs> it's me with a beard again. Yeah, it's your beard. There we go. It's our mirror universe plane it's, where yeah. you can see your bearded devil. Uh, unless you're a dwarf and then it's your unbearded dwarf. Your unbearded dwarf. And now we're getting in the weeds. We are. And then the last plane I want to talk about, which sort of rounds out all the upper planes, is uh, in some ways the most dull, but uh, you can, I'm sure somebody can do a lot with it, is that's the plane of Arcadia. Mm. And um, it is it, it is the plane of law, be it good or neutral, um, the plane of perfect law and symmetry, where there are no square pegs in round holes. There are only round pegs in round holes. Mm. And every thing is always in its perfect rightful place. Feng shui, I guess, is not really an issue here. Right. It's very... It's just, uh, everything's pleasing everything, to the exactly. eye. It all kind of makes sense. Um, and here, uh, one of the interesting things about Arcadia, one of the most fun things about it is that the weather here is governed by four kings. Actually, two queens and a, two kings, but they're all called the storm kings. Oh. Um, because there's the cloud king, the lightning king, the rain queen, and the wind queen. And all four of them together basically the weather. Okay. Um, do they decide in an orderly fashion? Yeah, they do. I was just going to say, because yeah. part of me was like, oh, they should roll dice to see who gets, but like, that's a very chaotic yeah. idea. But like, let's say, let's say in an adventure, for instance, you needed to, you know, you wanted to build a flesh golem or something like that. One of the things you might have to do is go to Arcadia and steal some lightning from the lightning king. Ah, that's, a, that's a good hook right there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, the rain of the rain queen might wash away the diseases of a, of a town. So there's all kinds of things you can play with that kind of mythology. And I really like that. So bravo, Arcadia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like that's, that's through a lot of these planes where, you know, you, you won't necessarily go there in order to right wrongs because right. the wrongs are, are, are writ. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you could go there for a reason to yes. interact with something to get a, a, a MacGuffin that might be needed for a yeah. quest down on the primate. And I think plane. that's the most fun and exciting thing because what, what it means is what you kind of know going in, you're kind of going into a role-playing scenario. Yeah. Rather than one where you're going to be forced to kill something. Right. Uh, so not to all tastes, but people who really dig that could really groove on, on this kind of experience. Cool. And, um, but then as the, as the, the governance of these good planes, uh, you mentioned the Heptamad. Yes. Right. So um, let's talk a little bit about those guys. And the Celestials. And the Celestials. So... The celestial hebdomad, first of all, the word hebdomad is not something we invented. That exists in real world, a myth. Um, going back to Greeks, there was uh, this idea of seven martyrs mm. um, who basically kind of shaped the world. And that's what the celestial hebdomad is kind of. They're the, they're the, they are seven martyrs in D&D who, in the founding of the universe, founding of the multiverse, created uh, the seven heavens of Mount Celestia through their martyrdom, Got it. essentially. Right. 
And so they've been, they, they are the revered of the revered of the archons. They go by other names as well. They're also known as the Tome Archons, T-O-M-E. Not exactly sure why. They don't carry around books as far as I know. Right. Um, Scrolls. Yeah. But uh, they're also called the Paragons. And these seven archons, the supreme beings, are basically um, tasked with leading wars against the cosmic forces of evil. All right. So they, they are diametrically opposed to devils, demons. Exactly. Their leader, the mightiest of the seven, Zafkiel, is Asmodeus's counterpart on the good side. He has pretty much just as much power and can, and can throw together just as much force mm. uh, to bear against any army as anyone. And then he's got six others, um, all of whom were, all seven of these uh, figures were first introduced formally in a, in a um, third edition product called the Book of Exalted Deeds. Okay, I remember that book. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah. I was one of the writers, so yeah. I'm somewhat familiar with it, <laughs> even though it was a billion years ago. Uh, so they've got, all, they've got all fantastic names, and Barachiel and Domiel and Pistis Sophia and Raziel and um, Sialtiel and things like that. But uh, long story short, their job is to make war against evildoers in the cosmos, which sometimes begs the question, well, then why do we still have a blood war raging on? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Why aren't these guys interceding? And I think the difference here is that if there was no blood war and it was just demons spilling over the multiverse threatening to consume all, then you can bet your, your butt that uh, the celestial heptamad would get off their asses and go and move and bring some stability to the multiverse. I'm sure they would phrase it just like that too. We're like, we're getting off our asses. And we're going <laughs> to bust our butts to kick those devils back to... Right. But until then, we'll just sit back and wait to see what happens. Yeah, we're in the happy hunting grounds. Um, but there's, there's often people... I do get asked periodically, why aren't the angels and the archons and the cardinals and the Eladrin and all the other all these other goody-goodies up in the upper plains taking any measure of action against the blood war? Yeah. And the answer is not an easy one to summarize, but the best way I can do it is this. Given the choice between patience and rashness, which is the virtue? Mm. And the virtue is, of course, patience. And I think that's the way a lot of angels intuitively behave. If the upper planes are the embodiment of all that is virtuous, then patience must be in their fundamental, for lack of a better term, DNA. Yeah. And so they understand, they must understand patience and the benefits of it more than any other creatures in the multiverse if they are truly in the embodiments of this, of this virtue. And so I think what happens is a lot of angels say, I'm going to be patient because one of several things is going to happen. Either I believe that as long as the blood war rages and demons and devils are dying, the multiverse is becoming a safer place. Right. For every demon or devil that dies, we're better off. So let it play out. There might be another angel, even longer lived and wiser still, who says the blood war doesn't matter because this isn't the multiverse as it was meant to be. It will eventually destroy itself and a new multiverse will be born and that is the multiverse that we will shepherd and tend um, evermore. Until then, just let things play out. This will all be better in the end. And there's also, uh, how, how do you answer the question of once you participate in the blood war, you lose your high ground, your, your goodness? Yeah, well, yeah, you do lose your goodness. And 
And even more, there are some angels who believe that as soon as you intervene in the blood war, suddenly you become the enemy. Yeah. And now all that evil that was directed at itself is now turned on you. And that doesn't help either because angels consider themselves and others of their kind and good souls to be precious. Mm-hmm. And every time an angel gets killed or an archon gets killed or an eladrin gets killed, that's a catastrophe. That is no small thing. You've destroyed a good and pure soul. Yeah. Uh, and so nobody's getting hurt. Nobody they care about. <laughs> anyway. Well, now, right. mortals are getting hurt, but the mortals who will die will go to the upper planes and be protected. Mm-hmm. So nothing really lost there. Is there also the idea that you know, devils and demons are, are expending their energies and then, yeah, and then if it ever right. goes towards, yes. towards Mount Celestia, then that's a whole different problem that exactly. is going to have to, and, and if we right. intercede or do anything that would upset that yeah. very careful balance. Yes. Um, but there is a very specific example of, of the, the Heptamad uh, asking uh, a, a angel mm-hmm. to investigate the blood war, right? Yes. And, this, and then this, of course, changed everything. Yes, yes. In, in instances where angels have not been patient or where they have expressed, just expressed displeasure or have been tasked with interceding in the blood war, things have almost never gone according to plan. Yeah. And Zariel, of course, being a prime example. Here, this, this figure, this great figure now corrupted and essentially leading a huge force of evil. Uh, that's not what anybody in the celestial host or the exalted host anticipated or wanted. And you could almost argue that yes. it did by merely, even if you have all the best of intentions, as yes. soon as you go down that path, yes. you're already corrupted. Right. You're in the mud with the pigs at that point. Yeah. Um, and it, it's hard to get clean. Um, are, are the archons or the, the heptabat, are they gods? Are they deities? They are super, super powerful, sublime supreme individuals, they ha- wield power akin to deities. You might call them lesser gods mm-hmm. in a fashion um, because in theory you could be a worshiper of any of them. Right, that's, yeah, and then you so, can get power from them. But they're not way. gods in the sense that they want it or they're looking for it or anything like that. They don't, you know, um, they've got a specific task that they aim to do. Um, and they, they're still in many ways... Uh, view themselves as martyrs. That's their job. If if push comes to shove and they're called upon, they have to sacrifice themselves for whatever the greater good is. Yeah. Uh, they don't have necessarily time to sit around and do godly stuff like sip ambrosia and <laughs> eat, eat now, heavenly grapes. Are there? I mean, and, and these are the, the the folks from Mount Celestia are the more lawful oh, yeah. good, right? So yeah. they they would of course try to follow these tenets no matter what. But right. are there chaotic good yes. forces that are like, hey, no, this is we need to do something. We need to upset this balance because yeah. it's not good. There, there are chaotic forces. Um, a good example of chaotic good, exalted folks, is the Court of Stars. Mm. Now, the Court of Stars is ruled by an Eladrin queen named Morwell. Uh, she has two consorts, a male and a female both Eladrin, and uh, she, she and her court exist in a demiplane that's sort of cast in a perpetual autumn, autumnal kind of setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
it can attach itself or detach itself from any of the upper planes at any time on Morwell's whims. And Morwell's nature, which is much more mercurial and chaotic, means that she will, or her agents will, often meddle in the affairs of the multiverse for good reasons um, and beholden to nobody. So there's, a, there's something to play with there, this idea of the court of stars. Um, your characters, if you, be, you might just walk through a doorway mm. and find yourselves in it where agents of Morwell are sort of, gu- Morwell are guiding you toward completing some task that will ultimately serve the greater good as Morwell sees it. Um, maybe slaying a demon or a devil or capturing one in a flask or something. Mm. But Morwell is this kind of fairy-like figure. So often what happens is you just get these little gifts handed to you from people you don't know and you put them to use in, in the name of good. And you don't even know that you're being manipulated or used in some ways as an agent of the Court of Stars. Um, but you get this strange feeling that people are, you know, watching you while you sleep and <laughs> doing all those unsettling things that fae-like creatures like to do. Could you, uh, as playing a warlock, I mean, obviously a lot of the warlock stuff is yes. about having dark patrons, but what right. about a good Yes, a you, could choose, good you could choose essentially the, um, the fae patron, but then apply it to uh, Queen Morwell or the Court of Stars. Yeah, that'd be interesting. That would be very interesting. Fun. And so you're channeling her, her power. You've made, it, you've made a pact with her. That's really compelling for a good aligned warlock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any other kind of ways to, to insert some of this stuff in uh, uh, Dungeon Master games that are going on now? I think the easiest way to do it in an ongoing campaign without actually, as we said earlier, kind of having something that requires you to go off to an upper plane, like you have to get the apple off a tree in a in in the beast lands or whatever yeah because um, that apple is the only thing that will save whatever uh, apart from that there are a number of minor monsters that you can use to kind of hint at the bigger world of the upper planes some of them already exist in the monster manual uh, like blink dogs and coattles and uh, pegasi and treants and unicorns all of these creatures have their roots back in the upper planes they're all aligned toward good and are either used as messengers or couriers by gods or angels or archons or whatnot. Um, you could have a unicorn NPC show up as a representative of an upper planar force to aid the characters when they need to or to set them on a quest. Mm. Right, they're um, good as, as quest Exactly, givers. yeah. In uh, Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus, we, we took one of the creatures that hadn't been updated for 5th edition yet, the Holophant, mm. Right. which is a small winged elephant, and put that in the story as a sympathetic NPC who can help guide you through the story and explain some of the things that are happening that you may not be able to intuit on your own. Uh, because this holophant was a companion of the angel Zariel before she fell and therefore can give you perspective on Zariel and what she was like before she became an archdevil. That's important. Which is kind of important if you're inclined to want to redeem her. Yeah. So, so the Hollyfent, whose name is Lulu, exists for that purpose. And I think that's a good use of an upper planar creature in an adventure as kind of a, a guide or a sounding board or a moral compass to help characters who might otherwise go astray. I like that too, right? Or even just as an exposition monster, right? right? Like, oh, yes. how are you going to get that information yes. out there? Well, here's a companion. It's and- also a reminder um, as going to the upper planes is that not everything in the D&D multiverse is out to kill you. 
yeah. there are some things to aspire toward. And I think a campaign that reminds players of that um, will have an easier time selling players on doing good things. It's like, we're doing this because there is there is a portion of the multiverse out there that is kind of rooting for us and that is worth saving. And we're not alone. We yeah, got, we got, not everything is crap. <laughs> that's right. important to think about right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm <no laughs> yeah. kidding, right? Yeah, uh, that's cool. All right, well, great. Uh, I love all that. Any other uh, final thoughts on, on the upper planes or celestials uh, as, as we close this down? We haven't updated moon dogs yet. What are moon dogs? <laughs> Different than blink dogs? Yeah, they are. Um, there are a lot. We got a lot of dogs. Part of the reason is we got a ton of dogs in D anD. d We got wolves. We got wargs. We got blink dogs. We got like just dogs, dogs, devil dogs, dogs. devil dogs. Exactly, death dogs, and yeah, two headed dogs, three headed dogs. <laughs> so, uh, moon dogs are native to the plane of Elysium, and they're good aligned hounds, although you wouldn't know it necessarily look at them because they're sort of blackish blue midnight colored. Oh, all right. They have this horrible um, baying that can that can scare evil creatures and probably frighten a few good, good children as well. <laughs> um, uh, but one of the things I love about them is that they've got um, almost like prehensile paws and they can walk on their hind legs. Oh. So I always just imagined that if they could, they would just always walk around on their hind legs and probably like wear some little smoking jackets. And they're like, oh, hello, hello. Harold. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, are we playing poker today? Right, yes. yes. Uh, We're yeah. getting our portrait done. They also have a wine that dispels illusions, which I thought was just kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually the other way around. Yeah, exactly. Usually you drink that and there's illusions everywhere. Uh, I've always wondered what, what, what a moon dog would do because they're, they're actually highly intelligent. What a moon dog would do if you just kind of threw a treat in front of one. <laughs> <laughs> what do you take me for? But that looks delicious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm clearly torn. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's awesome. all I got. Uh, well, if anybody wants to get in touch with you uh, about finding more out about these planes, how can they do so? I am on the Twitters at Chris Perkins DND. Excellent. Thank you very much. We will be back with more segments next week. Bye-bye. Uh, that was a very good uh, Lori You Should Know segment. Yes. I believe we learned a lot. We did. Um, As about usual. all those things. Uh, maybe even you can use that when we're playing through Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. Probably. Yeah, just saying. It might, it might give you something. Yeah. Or uh, Acquisitions Incorporated. It might give you something about that. Or it might inspire you to start your own campaign. Start your own Acquisitions Incorporated in hell. Done. Yes, your own done franchise. and done. While also on a ship. And that right. way you can use Ghost of Saltmarsh, the Ack Inc. book, and Baldur's Gate Descent it's, into Avernus when it comes out. It's your D&D. Make it yours. When I was trying to explain to the kids that didn't know what D&D was, what yeah. it was, I'm like, you can play a hero. You can be anything you want. And they were like, can you be a goblin? Yes. Can you be a cupcake? Mm, yes. <laughs> can you be a snake? Yes. You, yes. No matter what you say, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> yes. And then like the older kid was like, whatever you imagine is what you can be. I'm like, oh, oh wow. he's, you're good. Was he the 11-year-old that yeah, thought you were cool? He's the one, yeah. He's the one that I gave the essentials kit to. Oh, like, I feel like I can trust this with you. <laughs> I was like, thanks. thanks for saying I was cool in front of my kids. I know that's right. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> there's more where this came from. Yeah, I can give you all of the, you know, the product that you you're going to be in summer camp with him all summer. <laughs> make sure you treat him cool. <laughs> like, make I know. be friends with him. Yeah. They, they were like hanging out with him. Oh, that's sweet. Butthead. <laughs> They're kindred spirits, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, okay. So let's get on to Mid. speaking with oh. uh, these amazing folks, Rand oh. and Ian. We'll, we'll like, yeah. let's get them into the arm. I forgot the, into, the clicks happened. This is mic. real. This, this is, is real. You thought it was fake, but I'm it's ready. real. I'm ready. We're ready. Yeah. Let's make it happen. Okay. Go. We've got Rand Fishkin. Hello. Howdy. And Ian Laurie. Hello. Hello. Uh, we also have Shelly. Yeah. Still here. <laughs> Still here. Can't shake me. Still kicking it. Um, you guys are uh, uh, friends, right? You guys know each other. You've played Dungeons and Dragons together a few times. Ian is the one who got me into Dungeons and Dragons. No way. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first time you played? First time I ever played was about 14 months ago. Yep. Whoa. Yep. Not wow. even that long ago. No, no, very recent. Wow. So what was, uh, what, what was that like? What was, what was, how, how did he convince you to start rolling dice? It didn't really take convincing. It was more of a Twitter conversation. Yeah, that's that right. sort of started, yeah. yeah. It, so Ian has been, I, I, I want to say, very public, very out and open about his uh, obsession with Dungeons and Dragons. And I have been uh, nervous since I was 12 years old when I really wanted to play. And mm. I, bought, I bought a you know, third edition book. or I can't remember which edition was out when I was 12 years old. But I got it. I was obsessed with it. I wanted to play all the time. And I brought it to school. And I got made fun of relentlessly mm. to the point where... Uh, I hid any interest I had in it for literally a quarter century. Wow. Yeah, so 25 re- years. You wrote about this. Yeah. This was a really good article. And oh, it was thank like, you. It was so... I mean, I, I know the end of the story, so like, but, but still reading it, I was like, oh, this poor guy. I mean, I think that... I, I don't think that's a super unusual experience, right? We've no, talked to a number of folks who... Yeah. I was yeah, I was bullied relentlessly. Uh-huh. Um, and part of it was I was not just bullied for Dungeons and Dragons. So I think, you know, after you've had your first couple of playground beatings, it's sort of okay to, for everyone to know that you're playing. I'm making light of it, but it, it wasn't that funny. <laughs> I'm at the not. Time. I'm getting all mama bear. I'm like, well, tell yeah, me their right. names. Let's go right. back and try right. their right. names. Yeah. yeah. Well, most, <laughs> yeah, I follow them on Facebook. I know I came out better, so it's all good. <laughs> that, is, that is true. That is usually how it works out. Yep. But, yeah, uh, I had a yeah. similar, but different in that we, uh, I, I brought it, I, I got into Dungeons and Dragons with uh, this book, actually. It was the, it was the player's handbook. Uh, but then my parents, who were more uh, religious-leaning, uh, mm-hmm. were like, no, 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 we can't do that and, and get it right out. Uh, so I, I didn't get to the stage of actually getting made fun of. I just couldn't actually play it ever. <laughs> I mean, but I was fascinated, like you. Yeah, I think, that, I think this happens to a lot of folks, right, who, who have some interest or obsession or uh, a hobby they want to get into and they feel like they're excluded from it. Yeah. Um, I, I know this is incredibly true. I was just reading the big Polygon piece about Anita Sarkeesian mm-hmm. that came out last week and you know, talking about how these gamers in the video game world right, had, had tried to be such gatekeepers to, to stop letting women into what they perceived as, as their world. And I think, I think for a long time D&D was partially by association with the you know, nerdiness and the geekdom and the getting beat up on the playground and made fun of that it became its own little walled garden. And so yeah. and then there was also this desire to be exclusionary. Right. And and to see that turn around in the last I don't know what, how long it's been honestly, but to see that turn around has it, been amazing. It sort of became it's become part of the cultural mainstream and, and you know <clears throat> before your time in Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> you know, there were, there were things like this uh, book called Mazes and Monsters and, and what we nicknamed the Satanic Panic, where people literally thought that Dungeons and Dragons was 
right? demon and devil right. worship. And that's where my um, parents fell fell into yeah, that, I mean, that I, kind of line of thinking that it was yeah. somehow opening doors into something occult or whatever. Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to cast aspersions on my mother, who is wonderful, um, but when my aunt bought me Dungeons and Dragons, and I'll just hold it up one more time. Nice. Um, you gotta, you gotta show them how you oh, make yeah, sure people sorry. knew that was your book. I signed this to make sure that people knew it was my book. Um, it says <laughs> me. Oh, M E and very it large ballpoint pen. <laughs> it has some math from when I was calculating. And uh, Ian, hit points how in the old of were you nice. when you thought that me indicated only you? <laughs> Eleven. Okay, <laughs> I, I had some issues. It's a bit right? late. I'm gonna say that's a bit late. It's I had late. some issues. Um, no, I mean, the first set I got was the box set, and my aunt bought it for me. And I don't think my mom spoke to my aunt for six weeks after that because um, oh, wow. uh, she had just read Maces and Monsters, and she was sure I was going to end up running around in the sewers of East Brunswick, New Jersey. Uh, she didn't take it away from you. She just... she, no, and I was just going to say, you know, I, I am half joking. She did not take it away from me. Um, but there was a huge amount of panic, there, and that made it even more insular because a lot of us were so, sort of like, you know, okay, you don't want to hear about this. You don't, We will keep you out because right. we don't want – Right. You know, we don't want you here. You don't want us. We don't want you either. Um, and that started a really exclusionary culture, yeah. I think, around Dungeons yeah. & Dragons. And it took a long time for it to, I think, kind of phase out of that. And I'm not, you know, it was really when the launch of 5th edition, I think, came in 2014 that, you know, we started to really push, like, this game is for everyone and want everyone yeah. to, to, to get a hold of it from here at the, at the, at the office. And, and I think the, the ripples of that was felt um, uh, everywhere in the community, so it does feel a little bit more mainstream yeah. now. But you kept playing. You kept playing all kinds of, of D&D and tabletop role-playing, right? Yeah, for 20, well, 20 <laughs> years. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, we continued playing. And, and actually what we started seeing is the video game community started overlapping into Dungeons & Dragons. You know, you had PAX and you had um, Acquisitions, Acquisitions Inc. and things like that start up. Right. Uh, and that sort of started to push it gradually into the mainstream. But um, yeah, you know, went to a few other systems. I won't name them because I'm sitting at Wizards right now. Oh, no, that's, um, that's all right. Okay, you know, White Wolf, uh, Dark Heresy, uh, GURPS, right. uh, you know, games like that. Mm-hmm. GURPS, you know, where it takes two hours to run one round of combat. <laughs> um, a lot of games like that. And uh, what was it about the, the, the tabletop role-playing game but then D&D of, like, what, what, what kept you engaged? What kept, why, why were you always doing it? I was always in a group of friends that found it, really engaging. Mm. Uh, it was how we got together. It was our social, you know, it was our social time. Uh, and it still is, you know, I have one group of friends who we have played together reasonably consistently since I moved to Seattle in 1993. Um, and it was a great way for us to get together. We're all pretty hardcore introverts, you know, and it's just, it's something to do. Uh, and it becomes a story and you get engaged in it. You know, when you're sitting around a table and you start talking about, some event that happened in the game 15 years ago, it drives the Dungeon Master crazy, but it tells you something about the game uh, and just how involved you get and, and tied up in it you get. And it's an escape. I mean, it's, it's an yeah. invaluable escape. Yeah, this connects with, with something that I um, had read actually a couple of years previously and then have been in following. And it ties in with a lot of um, broad social trends, but um, you know, there's this sort of, I don't know what you want to call it, um, I think a a worrisome um, problem, especially among men in their thirties, forties, fifties, where they start to lose friends over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this is also true, I think, for for Americans in general, as as we get a little less uh, socially cohesive in a lot of ways. And and obviously, technology is a part of that, and so too is um, being distant from family and that and that kind of thing. But 
Uh, I think it's particularly pernicious or pronounced in terms of a statistical trend for men to, to not have friends. And one of the items that, um, that the articles that I had read or the research I'd read talked about was that men often find it difficult to hang out and not do something together, mm-hmm. yeah. right? They, need, they sort of need an activity. I don't know if it's need or want or, or socialize to want. Um, but Dungeons & Dragons is kind of amazing for that. Yeah. It is, you know, it's this thing that, that brings, obviously not just men, especially now, right? It's, um, I think I read, Charlie, did I read right that, that 40% of, of D&D players, customers are yeah, women? Yeah, that's the, our, latest, our latest data. Yeah, around that. Around 40%. Yeah, which is, which is remarkable and pretty much matches Ian and I's experience. I think yeah. about 40% yeah. of the people that we play with generally are, um, are women and be, be wonderful to see that balance out even more. But it has this, it has this power to, to bring people together along these vectors that are ridiculous, right? It's, it's improv group storytelling in fantasy world. Um, and, and yet uh, it builds incredible bonds. It does. It does. And I think you're right. I think there is this, this trend, uh, at least anecdotally I can say, it's, it's occurred with me. I've moved around a bunch of times. But like there is uh, a, a difficulty in getting uh, people together just in general, as and you're saying, building, right. building mm-hmm. new friendships, right? right? And those, and that has now happened. Once I start more weekly games and things like that, you're like, all right, here's here's a, an excuse to kind of get together. And, and actually, to be honest, you know, probably fifty percent of the time together is actually not playing the game. No, that's it's right. actually just talking and being yeah. social. Yeah. And then, oh, right, by the way, we have to get into this and and let's kill some monsters. But well, and friends that's so that, healthy. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, you know, like yeah. even even just that, even just like, well, we're together and we're just talking and we're having fun and we're socializing face to face. And oh yeah, we're playing this game. Yeah, too. But still, it brought you. I mean, I, lo- table. I love yeah. that. I love that aspect. I was walking over to um, a friend's house, a friend of Andrew Borer's, mm. okay. um, to play with, with this new group uh, that I didn't know very well in Ballard. And uh, I had in my pockets a folded up piece of paper, a pencil, and some dice. <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh, my God, this could be... 1971 mm-hmm. or 1991 or 2001. I love that you walked there too. Yeah, you should right? have like, like, gotten on your bike and rode over exactly. there. Exactly. It's without a helmet. Sort of Stranger Things style. Yeah. <laughs> without a helmet. <laughs> yeah. Defeating the Demogorgon at the end yeah, of the yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't need anything but your, you know, your head and a piece of paper and a pencil and some dice. It's it's kind of remarkable. It has that um, throwback association. It's such a an in person. You know, you are there with your friends. Um, it's, yeah. it's wonderful. Yeah. Well, it's great to have an environment where you can have each other's backs, both literally and figuratively. Yeah. Um, that's kind of that's fun. This is, this is one of the things Geraldine loves about – Geraldine is my wife. Just, um, I'm sure you'll have her on the podcast at some point. She's <laughs> very famous and amazing. But uh, she, she loves this fact that um, there's no winner and loser. No one – you're not mm-hmm. playing against someone. It's a know? cooperative yeah, event. Everyone's trying to get their different uh, – uh, uh, skills and 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 to to do one goal together. Yeah, exactly. You're you're trying to tell the most amazing story that you can as a group. You're trying to maximize your fun together, um, and that is and that doesn't mean that every night, every minute is fun, right? Some minutes can be very tense. Some can be uh, scary. Some can be um, a little slow, so, right? And then when the action picks up again, when things resolve themselves, you know, it's like a it's like a great play, right? It, 
yeah. it comes back together. Yeah. Nice. Sorry, you guys are doing this all for us. I, I know. Love I'm it. just like, I'm just going to sit back. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, you, you hired us to do marketing, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, and, and to that point, both of you are marketing, run marketing companies here in the Seattle area, right? So talk a little bit about that, and then, uh, uh, and then maybe we can talk about how Dungeons & Dragons uh, uh, can fit into that. Yeah, sure. influences. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sure it does. You want to go first, or? Sure. Well, so I'll just say I run a um, I ran a software company uh, here in Seattle that provides software for marketers uh, specifically to help with search engine optimization. And uh, Ian runs a a marketing company, you know, with consultants and people who who help do marketing. Uh, but both of us speak at a lot of events. Mm-hmm. I think that was probably the first time that well, I found I see, out. We we lived and worked within two miles of each other, and we first met in Stockholm. <laughs> yeah, oh, a, oh, really? Speaking at a that conference. happens all yeah. the time. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Stockholm. It, yeah. it's, it's what brings Jewish geeks in Seattle together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, it makes perfect sense when you get right down to it. Right. Oh, how fun. I know. I, I, had, I have friends in the video game industry that is like, oh, yeah, we're going to be in E3, and we should meet up for blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you know, we live in the same area mm-hmm. in Seattle. We don't mm-hmm. have to only meet <laughs> up in year. L.A. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, which comes back to Dungeons & Dragons because now we get together all the time. Nice. Um, That's right. Yeah, so I run an agency, uh, a digital agency, uh, and we do all the consulting stuff. Um, you know, a lot of time going out and helping clients kind of get their message out, sort of like you might sit around a table and get your message out playing a game. Interesting. Um, you know, just for the tie-in there, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I started the company in 1995, so I've been doing this for a while. Sweet, yeah. And uh, I, you know, uh, dropped out of college a few years after Ian had started his company Portent, um, and started this this company Moz with my mom of all. <laughs> really? Oh, nice. Yeah, I think uh, least mo- uh, least common venture backed startup is Mom and Son uh, co-founders, but that's that's what we were. Oh, that's pretty adorable. Uh, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's really sweet. And uh, basically, you know, ended up raising some money and uh, starting this company. I think Moz is probably two hundred and twenty-ish people now. I was going to say Rand oh, wow. is underselling. Um, Moz is one of the sort of industry juggernauts in the well, nicest possible way. Thank you. Yeah, uh, that's very kind. And to be clear, I, I'm not there anymore. I left uh, just about a year ago. Um, to play Dungeons and Dragons full time. <laughs> nice, I love this. People yeah. do that, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, don't get with, me wrong. With your mom as the yeah. as the as the co-founder. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, my mom, one of the only people when I was twelve years old who was willing to play with me. Oh, she's really amazing. That's awesome. Wow, she has really major sweet. points for Jillian. Yeah, okay. yeah. Can In we trade? Can we trade moms? <laughs> Oh, out. Time. <laughs> Ouch. Wow. It Sorry, was, Mom. It was I know you're not sweet. listening to this. Very sweet. And, and obvi- I mean, <laughs> she doesn't even know you work here. She doesn't really know I work here. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> she'd be so no, mad No, no, she you. does, but she kind of ignores it. <laughs> okay. Right. Because she's still very Catholic. I, yeah, that's uh, fair. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. She kind of ignores it. She kind of does. I'm not going to lie. She's like, oh, yeah, how's your job? Okay, good. Bye. No, <laughs> so we're how going do you to hell about September. This is pretty much... We're also going to be providing therapy during these mm-hmm. next few great. minutes. We have had Marketing a few uh, psychologists come on too, so that oh, okay. <laughs> oh I'll bet, yeah. I'll yeah. bet. Under yeah. the guise of like, we want to talk to you about D and D, and really, it's like, I don't, I don't like my mom. <laughs> <laughs> so does that my does that come out <laughs> in people's playing style and their characters? Like, do you have you seen I imagine people it, their backstory? There's like sometimes a common thread. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I every character I have has murdered their parents. <laughs> No, I'm oh, kidding. Serious? Oh, Jesus. That's a joke. Whoa. That's a total joke. Whoa. I am kidding. Everyone's That's like, not, whoa, it just got that dark. That is not true. Uh, <laughs> that is not but there true. Is, that is a thing where like yeah. everybody has like yes. a certain trope that yes. they fall back on, yes. and I bet there is some trend there that 
someone more educated in, in, well, in psychology Dr. could talk Dr. Megan there. Connell can tell you about She does panels at conventions about mm. people, like, finding out truths about yourself through your character's backstory. Yeah. Hmm. Very I'm, interesting. I'm not she, sure I want to know. I know. I, I, I kind of. I do not want to know. I dug in a little. I'm like, well, I don't understand why mine. All my characters always have like a, a terrible relationship with their families. Oh yeah. Like they're always just like, I'm leaving and I'm going off to do this other thing. And I'm like, but I love my family. We're very close. We. I don't have any issues with them. And she was like, well, maybe you're. This is your safe way of exploring what well, yeah, it would I was be gonna like say, if you didn't. A lot mm. of people play characters. I think that are sort of the opposite. Yeah. Right. One thing you know that is always funny to me as a dungeon master is. I never see characters with backstories of, you know, they grew up at home in the suburbs. <laughs> and they had a good life. And, and they had a good college. life. And then they went out and, you know, they went to college they and graduated. Married. And, you know, they decided to do this. The four years at Clown College. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, like no one's going to no follow up. Master's degree at yeah. Clown College. <laughs> Get right into the voices immediately. All right. Oh, oh sorry. I was, I was Sideshow Bob from <laughs> The Simpsons. And then Cecil says... I'll thank you not to refer to Princeton that way. <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, I think for the, for the exploration, you know, I have... Um, so I, I have become a, a DM myself. You have? I have. Let's go back to when you first started playing. right? we've got to go back to, like, a couple of things. Okay, okay. Yes. One, you, when you were 12, and you, your interest in D&D peaked, and then it went terribly awry. Yeah, yeah. But... I, I can remember a time like around 10 when I had these awesome like white pleather boots and I wore them to school and I was like, I'm so cool. Look at me. And everyone made fun of me. Yeah. And then I ran home and I threw them away and never wore them again. And I never even thought about them until right now when you were telling your story. <laughs> oh. But like you, you still liked like there was something still about D&D. Like it never all of these people who made fun of you or made fun of D&D and all the stuff that you've heard about D&D, you still were interested in it. I mean, I think that I, I just suppressed it, right? I, I, I pushed it down and I you know, would occasionally find, I don't know, a, an article online and I'd read it privately to myself. <laughs> and you know, occasionally I would, you know, when Geraldine was out of town or something, I would watch um, you know, Lord of the Rings movies or whatever. I, would, um, I played video games, so I played, I played the Baldur's Gate series mm-hmm. and Planescape Torment, which I was obsessed with. You kind of like danced around it. Yeah, right? Like, you know, I, I played the video games because yeah. no one sees you, right? No one can see you doing it. And, and video games are like oddly like, like they were more somehow accepted. Somehow they're cool. Like, yeah, somehow, like, yeah, somehow okay more acceptable. But alone. Even, even, even then I was embarrassed by what game I would play. You know, my, my little brother Evan would be like, oh, what games are you into? I'd go, um, uh, you know, Zelda. <laughs> right, like just right. whatever Street, mainstream. Street right. Yeah, I gotta play. Yeah, yeah. Fighter. Oh, uh, yeah. Counter Strike. You know, I'm real yeah. good at that. <laughs> whatever it was, right? Like I, I just didn't. I, I had this this part of me that I didn't want to expose to anyone, and so then Ian for years had been very public and out. And I, I mean, it's it's amazing. Like I credit you with bringing this this wonderful joy into my life because you, Thanks. you know, you talked about good job, so, Ian. So Ian, I think it was. <laughs> Maybe it was a conference in Portland that you spoke at, and yeah, you, it, you gave a talk that literally was here's all this marketing and search engine optimization stuff, but in the style of D and D. So you used ability scores. And, well, I taught. Yeah, oh, really. No, I, well, I actually talked about how you know I learned how to do marketing playing Dungeons and Dragons. Oh yeah. And at one point in there, I think I did the calculation and realized that I had accumulated 
15 million gold pieces or something like that. <laughs> Over the course um, of your entire marketing. adventuring yeah. career. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. but yes, I gave a talk about marketing and Dungeons and Dragons. Ooh, can you um, do that talk here? Uh, absolutely. I feel like that would be a great one. For absolutely. Yeah. Let's do it. It, it, was, it was lovely. Like, it was wonderful. And I, I was in the back of the room. I was embarrassed to be in the room, right? I felt like, oh, no, people are going to know this is resonating with me. It's my job. I make, <laughs> oh, I'm serious. I make really? people uncomfortable. Yes. Wait, that's what I do. This article. This <laughs> with those talks, really, that's what those are designed to do. It was mm-hmm. That article really affected me. Oh. Like, it was, it's, I hope that we can link to it in the show notes. We should. Okay, because what was the name of the article? Oh, gosh, I think it was on GeekWire, right? A story about shame and failure, I think was yeah, the Yeah, it was title. really yeah. good. It was just, but, like, you really were, like, yeah, no, I, it for I was a long super time. fighting it. I'm in the back of this room. I'm feeling this intense, like, oh God, people are going to see that I know what Ian's talking about. That I, I get all his references, even though I'm not supposed to, because I don't, I don't play this game. You know, right. I'm laughing at the um, end jokes. I know, yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah. laughing at the end jokes. Yes. No, yes. no. And I and, talked about the gazebo. So anyway, well, the dread Sorry. gazebo. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I had this, <laughs> I had this like. Um, I, I don't know how to how to put it, but over the over the next few years, sort of had this realization that that it's not that Ian is doing something embarrassing; it's that I am the one who's afraid of liking something. Mm. Right? I'm the one who has the problem, not my friend Ian and, has a problem. And if I can just—I mean, you do have a problem. Well, but, we know that. We, thank you. Not Ian. We know that. Um, not your problem. You know, one quick side story is: I was very embarrassed by Dungeons and Dragons when I lived in New Jersey, but when I was fourteen or fifteen, we moved to California mm. and. I was hanging out on the playground, you know, brand new at a high school, all this stuff. And this Wait, kid, so hold on. This was the Karate Kid plot? Right. Okay. No. <laughs> Just want to make sure. No. <laughs> Only if I was the one who got repeatedly beaten up in the background. Um, so this kid comes up to me and says, you look like you'd play Dungeons and & Dragons. And I kind of <laughs> went, shut up. What are you doing? Can you get me killed? Um, and joined a gaming group. And, you know, oh, we he said were, that in a good way. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, group. it wasn't the predecessor. It wasn't like the, no, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't the lead-in. <laughs> um, and we ended up playing together, and it became more sort of acceptable. You know, my, my girlfriend knew that I played Dungeons & Dragons, you know, all these things. And it suddenly became much more acceptable. So, I mean, as young as 15, I have to give a lot of credit uh, to that group and mm. to, you know, that move to kind of shake it loose for me. But so I know how hard it was for folks who didn't have that. Yeah. Right. There was no one who walked up to them and said, hey, I'll bet you play Dungeons and Dragons. Would you like to join our group? Yeah. You know, if you didn't have anyone doing that, it was really hard to get into the game. It's Absolutely. true. Well, especially having that like trust of like, oh, you are accepted into our yeah. our hobby and yeah. friend group. Like that's that's yeah. a huge part of, of of doing it, which is almost like what you did for Rand. Yeah, and now uh, you know, now Geraldine and I try and do it for tons of other people, right? Mm-hmm. We have dragged all these people in our lives into our little D&D world. Like, hey, come over and try, you know, why don't you join our group and and play um a friend of mine uh, who is, is based here in Seattle. His, his company is called Glowforge. Uh, Dan Shapiro, he's also an investor in, in my new company. And he was like, hey, I, I, I read this thing about you're getting into D&D. Uh, I want to play. Like, can we put together a group? And so now uh, Ian's joined the group mm-hmm. once, but I have you know f- four or five of my investors who come over almost every week. I'll be uh, back. Yeah, yeah, you, I should, will be you back. should be back, yeah. right? And, and come over every, almost every week and we all play together. 
That's it's kind of awesome. it's kind of remarkable. And it's only been 14 months since you've it's been liberated. Been, yeah. All right. So what happened so, yeah, that, so four, what that session this, 14 what, months ago? What, what, what was, was that this like? Tweet though <laughs> that you finally like so, felt. Yeah. Well, I was well. I, me and a few other people in the industry, you know, we all tweet pretty consistently. And I tweeted something about some game and something that had happened. And a friend of ours, Gianluca, said something else. And then I think you came in and said something. like, I'm really embarrassed to ask, but can we please have a game sometime? Yeah. And I said, of course. Um, that was and, bold. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I had just left. I had just left my um, my old right, company, had, yeah. Moz, and so I had this kind of you know a little downtime. I had some severance pay, and I um, you know I was it's spinning the up time to get into D and D. Perfect yeah. time to get into something um, new. The disposable income. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so me and my wife Dawn, who also plays, um, got together with Rand and Geraldine and. Tony Wright yeah, and that's right. Andrew Borer, who played yeah. remotely, I think, rolling dice on his iPad. Um, <laughs> and we did a, a little kind of startup that turned into more of a campaign. But uh, it started in one little city where they did the classic, you know, you're trying to get ownership of a bar and you go do these things. And then you get ownership of this cool bar called the Green Slot. And, you know, you sort of start I mean, the classic. The that. classic part was, you know, Ian uh, is, is role-playing this monster. It's a, it's a hag, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and the the monster uh, uh, kills my character. I almost killed Rand. I was just going to oh, say in the first game. On the game, first session? First game. All this time I disemboweled him. Yeah. I disemboweled him. In and then he was hooked. I mean, yeah, right. yes. It's yeah. true. Then I was hooked, right? I had this, oh, I am getting revenge. He was ticked. You know, he was ticked. I'm going to be a dungeon master. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm going to kill your <laughs> I'm character, play you. Ian. <laughs> So, so what, was, what was the character? Time, yeah, right. The, this was your very first, very time very first time. So Geraldine and I are making our characters, and we're we're emailing with Ian, like, okay, how do we do this? Was you it know, Geraldine's first time too? Yes, yes. I'm pretty sure yeah, it was. It was um, yeah. Although Geraldine has done a lot of like improv and debate stuff, and so she and she was comfortable from minute one, mm. right? Where whereas I was, you know, my ears are red, and I'm, you know, just kind of breathing hard as we're going into this. It was great. It was, uh, um, it was all good. But so we we made these characters where. Geraldine plays this, this giant warrior Goliath, Goliath. Yep. Nice. barbarian, uh, and I am a small halfling who has a crush on her and lives in her backpack. Oh, that's, that's a pretty good combo. Uh, and I'm really a rogue, good. so I you know I can I can jump out of the backpack yes. and then stab yeah. things. Yeah, nice. Yeah. But the backpack has been not it as helpful sort of as worked you think. against him in the yeah. That's yeah. you know this happened. You, I've I been promise, killed in I do three not have of the thing, five sessions. Not killed, we played. knocked unconscious, <laughs> knocked, knocked unconscious. unconscious. Um, and this is not—it's not personal. It's really not. But yeah, they ended up in a fight Thanks, against. Buddy. They ended up again in a fight against a monk, and he pops out of the backpack, just slashes the monk limb from limb. And of course, the monk then sees him go back into the backpack and does a spinning kick and just clubs the backpack. And you hear this kind of, and then the backpack goes limp. And I was like, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, it's a target. All of a sudden, the backpack. Yeah, yeah you know, I'm at, I'm, at, I'm at full hit points, but uh, full hit points for my is, low know, constitution. Re- yeah, that's not very much. Yeah, very, much. very low. That's yeah. fun. All right, so then that was your first session, and Geraldine loved it too. You Geraldine it? loved it too, so we've been, yeah, so she plays in this in this group that I have, um, and uh, she's, she's kind of a, a centerpiece. Like, she just, her characters are so creative and inventive. Her, her voice... Acting, I guess it's voice acting, right? Yeah, oh. is so so high quality, and she really, um, I think she knows that I love it too, and so she leans into this. It's you know, it's something that you do for your partner when you know your partner loves something, has this passion. You lean into that thing more heavily than you otherwise might, and I think Geraldine enjoys it, but I don't know if she'd be 
you know, an obsessive player the way the way I probably would be if. Um, yeah. If I were well, and I, what I like about this story too is that it's it's a way for you to hang out with your wife in a way that's oh, not, yeah. you know, and, and yours as well. Yeah. To like just oh, we're gonna play together, and this is just something we do with like family friends that like you know people yeah. that go out to dinner together or go on vacation yeah. together. Like no, we play D and D together well, as and, our couple group. Yeah, and you know, it is the same thing with Dawn, uh, and she's. And I love her for this. She's very dedicated to the game, mostly because I am. Nice. Of course, it doesn't hurt that every time we play with Rand and Geraldine, they cook basically a gourmet meal that we eat before every game. It's very strange because I'm used to eating Domino's pizza, <laughs> right, in the middle of <laughs> the game. And Cheetos. Yeah. And, you know, they'll put out these great, you know, roasts or steaks or whatever else that by the time we're playing, I'm kind of falling asleep, which I think is a tactic <laughs> I was going to well. say, that's a good tactic yeah, for yeah, your yeah. And Geraldine is a James Beard Award winner. <laughs> yes. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So she, she let's just, give her a shout yeah. out. Shout out. <laughs> good job. She is, she's um, not for cooking. But for which, writing. For writing. Yeah, for her writing. Which uh, which just won the the award, and she, um, I think, leverages a lot of those writing skills in in the game. Yeah. Right. So she has um, really fun backstories that she adds to characters, and she um, is super creative with the um, with her plots, and uh, it, yeah, it just goes great. So, uh, what was it like? I mean, I've probably done this a bunch, but dungeon mastering for new people. Uh, obviously, when they're younger, it's much easier to kind of mold those yeah, things. But yeah. it's interesting to me that you had so many new players that were adults and fully formed humans with their own ideas about things. Uh, what's it like introducing those type of people? And did you game? know, like, how badly he wanted to play at yes. this point? Okay, yeah. so that there was so additional pressure you did. Like, to make his. I was trying absolutely. to keep it on the absolutely. <laughs> Come on, I saw you, you tweeted me. in the back of How, his you talk. You have 300,000 fans <laughs> on Twitter, and you tweeted me saying, can I please play Dungeons & Dragons with you? That's a pretty, that seemed like a pretty, uh, you were pretty interested. <laughs> yeah, but, you know. Um, so, I, you know, <laughs> running new games for folks, uh, I love doing it, and I loved running it for them. And, Rand, this is going to be really awkward, but I was really nervous running a game for Rand and Geraldine because... You know, these are these two very high-powered people. Yeah. I mean, I'm a guy who ran a, runs a consulting firm. That's what I do. I built it a brick at a time through pure pig-headed stubbornness, and you've got these two basically rock stars. Um, I, I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> so it, it, there was, a, you know, we're all friends, but there was a little bit of pressure there. You, know, you got to perform. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a little bit of pressure there. Yeah. Well, it I, was fun too, though. Yeah, I mean, I think I think obviously you did an extraordinary job because we instantly fell in love. Right. Yeah, and that's, that's so you're hired. Special thing. I'm hired. <laughs> yes. yeah. uh, but did you change up your tactics as a dungeon master? Like, did you want to ease them into it, or did he you know, almost killed him? You almost killed yeah, him. No, right. There was no easing into it. Uh, well, okay, just what do they say? Never split the party. Yeah. Okay. He went chasing after Hag on his own. Oh. I just want to point that out. That's right? a good it's point. not like I went gunning yeah. for him. Yeah. So I, I just want to make sure. Sometimes um, you have to learn those lessons the hard way. Yeah. You know what? You and, let him and he didn't die. There were some bits hanging out, but he didn't die. It was all good. Um, you didn't need that. Spleen. <laughs> you didn't need that spleen anyway. No, it's, it's um, it weighs vestigial. you down, man. Completely unnecessary. Yeah. Um, so I think that I think one of the things that um, that Ian did and that uh, I really picked up on and have tried to use in my own DMing is to pick up on the things that your players love. Yeah. Right. So, um, I mean, I you folks are probably familiar with with Matt Colville, the guy who does videos oh, yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. So I had watched a bunch of his videos to try and learn more about the game. And uh, one of the things that he said really stuck with me, which is someone had asked him, he was DMing, and someone asked him, did you have a good time? Right? Did you have fun tonight? And, he, and his response is always, did you have fun? Then I had fun. 
Mm-hmm. Right? If, the, if your players right. have a good time, right? If your players enjoy what they're doing, you have a great time. And I think Ian really applies that, right? He, he learned, oh, Rand and Geraldine, the, the mechanics, the, the, you know, the specifics of how much to add to this dice roll or maximize, you know, optimizing their character sheet, they're less interested in that. Yeah. The story, they love the story, well, right? They yeah. love the narrative. Let's lean into narrative, right? Let's let's give this hag some background. Let's you know, let's give this world some depth and richness. Yeah, and uh, I think I've found that that works great as well, right? Yeah. Learning what my players love. I have a player who is obsessed with you know magical items, right? And just every little thing that he can get. Um, we both know who we're <laughs> who we're talking about. <laughs> you know. I mean, I'm, Geraldine is upset, right? I knew that Geraldine is a huge fan of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. So I made this magical item in our game that is, it's called the Folio of the Wondrous Bard. And oh, sweet. Their, uh, their characters can memorize a line from a Shakespearean play oh, and then cool. like get a little magical bonus that it, that's connected to it. So each week they send me their folio lines, right? So they'll have a, you know, here's a line from Coriolanus. Here's a line from As You Like It. Here's a line from Julius Caesar, right? And they, they stand up and they perform in front of their, you know, the rest of the party and then use well, this this book. And in the so I came into play in his game and I knew I had this line to recite it but didn't know when. So all of a sudden, middle of something, I just stood up and recited the line. Everyone looks at me like, what? <laughs> no, that was not the right time. What is wrong with you? So... Um, you know, context is everything. Yeah, I, you know, I'm a big storyteller, world building DM, so it did make that game really enjoyable for me. Um, every party has a mix of people who are really rules driven and very story driven. Right. So, but it, it it was really fun and easy to introduce them to the game when the first thing they were looking for was story. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned how uh, Rand, how you have investors coming to play <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons, which is a, don't yeah. kill the investors. It's no a mix. That's a very big. Uh, I don't know. That's uh, mixing business and pleasure with uh, 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 you know the, the creativity of Dungeons and Dragons could not be the best idea. But it sounds like it's working really well. Uh, and I was yeah. thinking about when um, uh, World of Warcraft first came out, and there was all these. Articles about how World of Warcraft was like the new oh, golf. Yeah. You remember mm-hmm. this, yes, these things? Yes. And they're like, that's how business leaders, especially in Silicon Valley, are meeting up and, and making connections and, and increasing their networks out there. Is is that happening with Dungeons and Dragons, at least here in the Seattle area, or is that just local to you? I I am not a hundred percent sure, but certainly in the small circle that you know Ian and I have, which has reasonable exposure to, I would say, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of Seattle's. Um, not all the tech leaders, but but some of them. Uh, there is there is some of that happening. Uh, I don't think it's big yet. I don't think it's the way World of Warcraft was. Maybe you know whatever that was 10, yeah. 15 years ago. Uh, but it would not surprise me at all to see that happening more and more five to ten years from now. Mm. Yeah. And I think that um, it, it's an awesome thing, right? As long as people are inclusive about it. One of the things that I really um, that I have seen very much happen in investor world, not to like take us way off track in the the business world, but um, they are very insular, right? It's a very insular community. Breaking in is really hard. You know, you you talk about diversity and inclusion inside D&D. I I mean, I don't think 4% of venture investors are women. Yeah. I don't don't think that uh, 4% of capital has gone to women founders and CEOs, right? It is a tremendously exclusive, you know, old boys network, 
if you look like Ian and I, you, you're probably okay, right? And if you don't, everything is a million times harder. Which is why I'm wondering why Dungeons & Dragons might be the, the leg up, right? Because the, be all beautiful. of a sudden there'd be these ways to create these networks amongst people that uh, you know, could build up trust and then want to invest in, in companies with, with people who don't look like you. Yeah, and I think, un- unfortunately, you know, for, for better for worse, I mean, generally for worse, right, the investor world is very driven by who you know and who you're connected to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you've spent time with someone, you've gotten to know them, you're like, oh, yeah, I like that person. I, I know them. I trust them. They're a friend. They're a friend of a friend. They have a bunch of connections they in common. They cast cure wounds on me when exactly. I needed it most. Or, or they disembowed me in a back alley. <laughs> <Yeah>. But it was <laughs> a... Whoops. <laughs> but in a good way. It, it, it was done with it love. It was for the story. <laughs> this, is, yes. exactly. this will hurt me more yeah. than it hurts you. Yeah, so I, I hope that, that those kinds of things can, can help. Certainly um, having spaces that are inclusive, that connect people who wouldn't otherwise be connected, um, well, that, that can only be a good thing. And I also say. think you know the, the venture capital community especially is very much about how do I do this right and mm-hmm. there's a certain set of rules, and this is something where I, I cannot break in. Um, when you get a bunch, bunch of people around a table with dice pretending that they're someone else, a lot of that suddenly drops away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it makes it easier for people to kind of get in someone else's shoes. And it makes it easier for them to interact in a way that's a little bit less restricted, constricted, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, the empathy piece of, of yeah. Dungeons & Dragons. For sure. um, yeah. Of gaming in general is just is a really beautiful thing. Well, and cracking inhibition. Uh, yeah, in that's a good way. point too. Yeah, yeah, right. Because yeah. you, you know, you talk. I, I think about this discomfort that I had with D and D, and you know, had in the back of the room listening to your session, had our first few sessions together, and now, you know, I, um, I can I can prep for a game, and I can sit down at the table and put up the screen after dinner, and I feel fine. All right, I feel comfortable. Good. I, my heart rate isn't one ten. You know, just I knew. And you can talk about D and D, and I can talk about I can talk about it with friends. Yep. I can. Introduce it to other people. I can say that I that I'm a fan of it. Um, I knew that Rand that you had made a major step when you uh, when we got together at a conference and you said, "What does it mean that I'm more nervous about the game I'm running tonight than the fact that I'm about to get on stage and oh speak?" Oh my god! Yeah, right. I'm about to get on stage and yeah. speak in front of a thousand people yeah. for for an hour, and I'm like, nah, th- "This is the easy part yeah. of my day." Yeah. The hard part is tonight when yeah. my players are coming over. Yeah. Just wait until you're dungeon mastering in front of a thousand people. Yes. Do that you know, too. I we Wait, have what? we have well we have casually talked about this, and I think a live play at some big uh, marketing. Okay, conference. you no, should totally no, do no. that. Seriously, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. have you been? Have you? I mean, here in Seattle at Benaroya Hall on, at Pax West, have you been to the Acquisitions Incorporated games? I've listened to it. I don't. Um, I don't know about this. Yeah. Oh, so uh, for the last really? decade or so, uh, we have been working with Penny Arcade, the people who run Pax, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the Benaroya Hall here in Seattle uh, sold out. Full of people watching a group play Dungeons and Dragons, and it's you hear the crowd. Everyone gets excited about it. I have completely. You guys can totally do this at marketing events. I have completely failed you by not. You're invited. Come, come. There's so much. This Pax West. So much for you to explore. I yeah. I have never managed to get tickets. Is, is this on tickets, video? Can you? It is on video. Yeah. There's tons of, and, and yeah. there, you know, watch all the episodes up to it. But there is something about being in the space. It's like it's akin oh, to yeah. watching, you know, listening to a live show yeah. of music. You're like, oh, this is fantastic. But when you're yeah. actually in the space with all of those people who are like you, who get a hang on every word, I'm like, oh my god, I get all these references. And, yeah, you're and, getting yeah. all the in jokes at the same yeah. time. And like you're all, and laughing you're together. All part of the adventure. It's when just, when you understand great. what oh. I say about the New Hampshire Dark Magics, then you will have joined. You will have joined us. I. 
uh, it's a I state love, in the Northeast. I love yeah. the idea of playing it at a marketing conference. Oh, we have I to, know, right? So, me, all right, all right. Right. question yeah. for both of you. If you were playing with potential investors, is there anything that, do you think you can tell about their character by the way they play D&D? Like, is there anything they could do in the game that you'd be like, oh, hell no, you're not touching my company. Don't want your money. Yes, um, I have, so, well, it depends on how you're raising money, first off. (laughs) For example, if they are participating in a round, but they're not going to sit on your board of directors or have a vote, it's it's fine, right? Right. You could take money from a lot of people. Uh, If, however, we're talking about someone who's going to have a voice in the future of your company and how it's run, yeah, I think that you can learn an incredible amount about somebody from the way that they play, right? You you pick up on how... um, how they respond to other people, right? Mm-hmm. How uh, give and take they are, how domineering they are in conversation, mm-hmm. how much they include feedback and remember details, how they apply those. Um, a lot of a lot of the empathy piece. Yeah. Big right? Also, no chaotic evil. Yeah. I was just going to say, no chaotic they, evil. Only play, <laughs> they only play <laughs> drow that yeah. want to kill you and take um, away all of your stuff. And, and you're like, mm. And seriously, do they play against other players, which can sometimes be fun and entertaining, but I'm not sure I want someone... Who that's the, that's what they lead with, and I know you know I have very little experience in this, so I in in the the investing world, um, but that would be my first instinct. I I was wondering about this. This is like a, a slightly side <laughs> question. Are the drow inherently evil? They have been. Uh, I mean, we'd have to get you with uh, Chris Perkins and the rest I, I of the story team because like, I basically don't want to jump into to that. But there there is a connection they have with Lolth, the demon queen of spiders, which is you know their uh, uh, patroness. Because yeah. I kind of uh, think about like the whole, I, I feel like this is one of the few areas of D&D where I had like a slight problem kind of reading the material where I was like, gosh, it sucks that an entire species or, or race or whatever is like associated with good and others are associated yeah, well, with evil. So there are at least two drow. Again, I seem to have failed you. Oh. Um, there are at least two <laughs> drow who have escaped this. Um, one named Drizzt Orden, who I will have to introduce you to the 56 novels. But see, like, I, 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 <laughs> I worry Ever about increasing. this too, right? Like the yeah. tokenism of like there's a good one, mm-hmm. right? And especially, I don't know, feels a little... Like does it well, feel weird to you guys? There are a lot of like, articles about this exact problem, okay. not just with Dungeons and Dragons, but with uh, uh, fantasy literature in general because it comes from Tolkien and yeah. he very much was like, these or- orcs are corrupted oh, elves yeah. and yeah. they're all inherently bad. Yeah. And it was just the way that the story was structured in the 50s and 60s when he was writing that, right? And a lot of uh, Dungeons and Dragons materials kind of inherited that idea mm-hmm. about um, specifically elves, right? Um, but there is a lot of conversation I think about that right now and what that might mean because of how it generally goes to racism in our world. There's, yeah, yeah, like there's, there's the parallels feel a little unnerving. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's the beginning, I think it reflects everybody's awareness that there's the beginning of sort of a redemption thread opening up, I think, in the Forgotten Realms and there's a whole group of elves now that's sort of I'm going to get a ton of tweets about this one, but there's <laughs> there's the Raven Queen and, and all of the the not just elves but beings that exist under her control and if I'm getting this wrong just kick me under the table really hard no worries um, but are sort of in this in between space yeah. where they they act in the universe in a way that um, isn't bad or good and is just really yeah. important and I, I mean I love I think one of the things that I that I love exploring in D&D is um, moral issues moral quandaries mm-hmm. um, I, I I hate having a simple villain right I just yeah. can't do it you know I um, 
I, I think my first few adventures that I ran for players, probably like a lot of DMs, I was like, okay, bad guy, good guys, right? right? Okay, fight. <laughs> um, and now it's a lot more, well, wh- why, why does the bad guy do that? Why? Yeah. What are the, what are their motivations? Are they are they truly bad? Or are they committing what they think is a lesser evil to get a greater good? And then that runs into conflict with the party. And um, and when that happens, I found like oh, the players are way more engaged, and they start to learn to ask questions. Um, the, this of course is what happens when people over the age of thirty five start playing Dungeons and Dragons, right? Is we're overthinking a lot, but yet I mean, not just overthinking. We're bringing an awareness to it, and I think it is kind of interesting. Now everybody young is going to start tweeting me angrily, but no, I mean, I, it's it's more of a style of game, right? And yeah, I think that's what's yeah. what's increased more than anything else in the last five years has been the idea that you can play an acquisitions incorporated style of game that's very you know make poking fun at corporate structure mm-hmm. and in a fantasy context like that's their their shtick ah, it's, okay. it's hilarious and fun um, but then there's also the style of game what you're talking about like oh the you know most villains in the world are not don't call themselves villains. They don't right. think they're doing the wrong yeah. thing, mm-hmm. and why? Uh, or the idea of like going into oh we're going to kill all the goblins in their in their goblin warren that's been attacking us. Oh wait, there's you know innocence here. Do mm-hmm. we kill them? Or well, and then there's like the style of game that wants to play with that kind of moral boundary. There's also a style of game of people who I just want to kill the dragons. Yeah. take me down into the dungeons yeah. the treasure, and, the and make it more very simple hack and slash kind of four time thing. And I don't think any of those are wrong or bad, but. It, interesting now that there are people forming around styles of game yeah. rather than, oh, I only know one person who plays D&D, so I'm forced to play yeah. that style. Y- you will see things that I blatantly stole from Acquisitions, Inc. Uh, C-Team. Okay. The, the whole thing right. with the, the potion cook who is potions get knocked over. Acquisitions Incorporated. Okay, right. and that's the name of the, yeah. the game or podcast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've listened to um, a couple of episodes of Critical Role and... Another one. Adventure Zone. Yes. <laughs> oh, I knew it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The scary voice, yes. Yeah, yeah. Adventure yeah. Zone. Yeah. 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 We have to say it like that. Yeah. Adventure Zone. The Adventure Zone. <laughs> yeah, and I thought, I mean, I thought. You thought Geraldine's weird. voice acting was good, but. So Geraldine is. is. Did, did Geraldine do that, that one goblin character? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That one's <laughs> just great. She yeah. has a little giblet. Character that she's like, oh, I was named after your cake, you cake, you trash me. <laughs> it's just incredible. Oh, sure. Something gets stolen and you accuse the goblin. Yeah, yeah. anyway. We'll right. Moral quandaries just, all around there, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. We just went right off the cliff there. Okay. <laughs> anyway. What happened? Um, but I think that's, I mean, because in the past, when, you know, if 25 years ago, when there wasn't as much podcasts and streaming and other like styles being presented to people. Um, I've heard from, and to some extent, I was one of this, these people where you, you tried a game and then you bounced off of it because it wasn't the style that mm-hmm. you thought. But you might have not realized there were different styles, and you were like, "Oh, well, that's Dun- Dungeons and Dragons. I don't like it as much." Yeah. Not realizing that, like, "Oh, that was just not my cup of tea of of this." It's like saying, "Like, oh, I didn't like Knight Rider, so I hate all TV." <laughs> that's right. Or right. you know, <laughs> yeah. are there times when you want to watch? The Dukes of Hazard, as opposed to Knight Rider. You know, there's just times when a certain kind of game really appeals, and you go from one to the other. I yeah. love that you guys both chose TV shows from a very how particular old era. <laughs> how, how old are you? Uh, Forty-one. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. fifty-one. Yeah. So, yeah, more or less. I, I, I have not seen Knight Rider or Dukes of Hazard. What? But uh, ever? Uh, maybe like one episode. I didn't have TV growing up. Uh, My parents lived way out uh, in the boonies. We didn't right. get reception. Man, I'm I really not, do want to switch moms. <laughs> well, I'm not quite sure. I think. Go for Acquisitions Inc. first. It's okay. more urgent. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. Knight Rider and Duke's Hazard. I mean, I, I will, I will recruit you know all of the input 
okay. to say like what should mm-hmm. I what should I what else should I check out mm-hmm. what should I try mm-hmm. and, um, and and definitely this uh, end of August early September when the Acquisitions Incorporated game is here in Seattle you guys we'll get you in we can actually oh, see it yes, in person please. Uh, by all that'd means, be fascinating. I think yeah. that'd be really good. Instead of sitting there on the website trying to click like this, hoping you get a ticket, which I have failed at every single Aww. time. Nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this is why the the um, you talked a little bit about the the DNI work, right? That had come from the wizard. Sorry, diversity and inclusion work, right? That's come from uh, the Wizards of the Coast leadership and, and team and company since fifth edition. And I think this is why it's so hugely important because if you can't, you know, if I if I don't see the kind of game represented that I'm interested in then I don't particularly want to play. And say, I think that's also true of people. Like if, I, you know, if I'm a young woman and I don't see any young women playing this game, if I'm a, um, you know, a, a, a grandmother, I don't see anybody over the age of 60 playing this game. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm queer, I'm black, I'm Hispanic. I don't see people who look like me playing this game. Well, okay, that's not for me. Yeah, I remember and that's been a big push in, in what we're doing mm-hmm. here in, in, in the streaming world as well as in podcasting is making sure that uh, they, they get seen for that yeah. exact reason. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a truly wonderful bit of work, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, what, what I love about it is it's, it's both um, a very like, wonderful moral thing, but it is also a very wise capitalist thing, mm-hmm. right? Because, mm-hmm. oh, wait a minute, you know, we whatever, 40% of the U.S. population, like, we're, we're just excluding them. And then another yeah. half because they're, you know, not men or whatever, right? Like, that that feels like a terrible it's when, way it's, to run It's a when business. good morality and capitalism come together. <laughs> and that's not that's always true, right? But that's a beautiful thing when it does happen. And, um, you, you know, Ian, I, I'm not sure if I told you the story, but, but someone in our world... Uh, a speaker who is um, underrepresented, a uh, black speaker, told me that they got into our industry. They're now very well known, but they got into the field only after seeing someone else, another another black speaker, on stage doing mm-hmm. this. And they were like, oh, I I could do that too. I'm going to try and pitch. I'm going to... You know, yeah. I'm going to well, try and get up on stage. And, and digital did help with that. I mean, digital marketing did break down. I mean, it's still got its challenges, but compared to, to traditional, the traditional marketing world, yeah. digital broke down a lot of barriers. Yeah. Uh, now, now we just have to see if we can make a difference in venture. Yeah. It's going to take yeah. a while. And it's going to take D&D. Look, yeah. I mean, I'm up to try it. I Sweet. think uh, let's let's get some. Right, well, you, we're here. We're not that far away from yeah. uh, from from where all of your offices are. So let's make it happen. Uh, I know some. Uh, we'll, we'll be a tech hub. <laughs> some some um, underrepresented folks, what what uh, what Arlen Hamilton would call underestimated folks, yeah, uh, who could could definitely use some of those connections. So that'd be a really yeah, that'd be a fascinating thing to try. Does she play D and D? Oh, I don't know. She should. Yeah. Okay, we'll tweet at Arlen after mm-hmm. this. Um, Let's yeah. make it happen. I, that would be incredible. I'm seeing the party form right mm-hmm. before our eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for, for coming down and being a part of this. I feel oh like gosh, we can pick your brains mm-hmm. even more thank you so much. Uh, about how, uh, how we, we can use all of your company's skills uh, yes. to push uh, D&D even further. This was, this was truly a pleasure. It's, uh, yeah, it's great meeting both of you and, and finding out that, that this really is such a wonderful – the world that it appears to be is the world that it – I know, I'm so glad you weren't disappointed. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, all of this buildup to get to your first oh, D&D sure. game, and then it was obviously not yeah. disappointing. Yeah, he, he, he didn't inspiring. say, you know, eh. The, so, the yeah. payoff. Oh, man, I waited this long. That was all for you. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you made that happen. Thank so. you. Thank yeah, you, yeah. yeah. And by the way, uh, if Chris Perkins wants an unpaid 
intern, just let me know. <laughs> oh, um, sure. Yeah. 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 That's what all acting is all about. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. No there kidding. You no Do you kidding. mind dying? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Do you have any organs you want to uh-huh. donate to uh-huh. the cause? We, the we've already yeah. determined the spleen yeah. is unnecessary. It's both the heaviest yeah. and the most unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> Hide in the backpack. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. It worked for me. <laughs> I wish Wait. we could go back to your 11-year-old self and tell... Them. Don't worry. One day you're going to be on Dragon Talk. <laughs> oh my god! No kidding. And they're going to be like, "What's Dragon Talk?" Look at us now. Look at us now. That little boy is just crying his eyes out with happiness right now. Oh, yeah. see, there's we, no doubt. I feel like that was very therapeutic. Yeah, we went back yeah. in time. Mm-hmm. Good we gave back. him a message, and now he's okay. Now. Do you Shirley, feel healed? Thank you. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I feel good in a lot of ways. I think I think uh, be a wound that sticks with you for a while, but you know you. Um, it's a scar, right? And it's, the scar can be good and bad. Yeah. Just yeah. like in The Lion King. It's, oh, wait, no, that's not true. Yeah. Different, mm. no, always <laughs> different scar. Yeah. Uh, and then I want to hear your marketing, uh, uh, everything you learned about marketing you learned from D&D yeah. talk. I will, Is that I online will. anywhere? Um, no, but I will happily come give that talk I feel like that anytime. would be very irrelevant. I would well, seriously love happening. to do it. I'm already going to have to have a grinectomy just from coming here uh, today <laughs> to be on this, but I would. I, I will love. Yeah, I guess we're going to remove his grin. A grin removed because you have too oh, much of a grin. Got it. Um, oh. That was. It was not a. It was not a, uh, a metaphor or a euphemism. <laughs> okay, got it. Got we're it. actually going to take off your grin. Yeah. But, no, I would love live on air. Yeah, I would happily. <laughs> I would happily come in and do that. Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. Anytime. Well, thank you guys. Uh, that was fun. I really enjoyed that interview. Me too. They uh, seem like they are going to use all of the things that they learn from Dungeons and Dragons and apply it directly to their job. You know, D and D is good for everyone, no yeah. matter what line of work you end up in. We always hear about the like the the actors, the writers, the directors, the Hollywood types that right. grew up playing D and D and say like D and D inspired me to do all these things. Mm-hmm. Business, baby. That's right. You can take the CEO path, too. Do you remember when uh, World of Warcraft came out? There were all these articles that was like, uh, playing World of Warcraft with your guild is like the new golfing. It's like how you make, you know, like it's like friend connections between business leaders happens in World of Warcraft, at least in the tech sphere, way more than it does uh, in the more traditional sphere, like through golfing or whatever, you know, at the club or whatever, things like that. And I was like, yeah, maybe that's happening with D&D now where like, Things are happening around Team the D&D table, yeah. But great. also making connections. Oh yeah, like, for sure. You know, oh, you played that clerically well. Do you want to invest in my company? You seem like somebody who has very deep pockets because <laughs> you're a wizard. Because you've earned <laughs> more than five hundred gold pieces on that last adventure. Would you like to invest those gold pieces with me? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I would. I would. Um, so that is it for this episode of Dragon Talk. Woo! We are excited for all the things Thank happening you. in July. We've got lots of amazing things happening this fall in the product Big realm, time. including Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus, as we said, the Dungeon Mayhem expansion. Yeah. D- Battle, Battle for, for Baldur's, Baldur's Gate. Gate. One, two, three. Battle for, for Baldur's, Baldur's Gate. Gate. Great. Uh, that's going to be a fun expansion. I can't wait to jump into that. Yeah. Play some Minsk and Boo. And Boo. And, and Jahira. Jahira. That's going to be fun. You like shape shifting? I do like shape shifting. And you will like her. She shifts shapes. Do you like throwing hamsters at people? All the time. Then you will like Minsk. Often I just do that walking down the street where I'm I like, know. hey, you get a hamster. <laughs> <laughs> you get a hamster. I'm like the Oprah of Seattle. 
With hamsters. With, with hamsters. <laughs> with Your hamster. rodent Oprah. And Road uh, Oprah. And salmon gummies. Oh. <laughs> Sam and gummies. So uh, anything else uh, that you want to, you know, talk about before we close this episode out? I would like to talk about the fact that I just got a text from the adult supervisor of the summer camp and that was just here. Yes. And he said, Quinn is a local celebrity. (gasps) Oh. It worked. It worked. He's the coolest kid around. Well, I mean, for like today. For today, the weekend happens and then they'll forget. <laughs> no, he'll be cool next week. You think? Yeah, make sure Quinn's nice to uh, uh, my girls when they start camp at oh, the same that's place. Right. Well, wait till they find out I'm not going to be as cool anymore. Yeah, because my my kids are going to be, be, like, they're gonna be cooler. My dad works there too. Boom. Mic drop. <laughs> all right. Well, we got to have all of them in and uh, interview all of them about what their summer camp was like. Okay. Yeah. D and D summer be fun. camp making it happen um but first we have to explore what's happening in this cave yeah there are lots of dark though yeah can you light a torch yeah what could possibly Wait, go wrong? you have dark vision yeah i can do it <laughs> hang on i don't need a torch there is There's an opening up here. above okay pull it what should i yeah what could happen nothing okay go ahead watch out uh, ah! <laughs> that was a lot of time <laughs> 